from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be back with you this Monday evening. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And, of course, while the government did not get shut down, uh, there is uh, some fallout still in Washington where uh, Congressman Matt Gates and uh, Speaker McCarthy are going at it. A little while ago, Congressman Gates uh, filed the motion to vacate, and some are saying that it's chaotic. Gates says it's not chaos. These are some motions, and the real chaos comes if you spend more trillions of dollars like we have been. And I, I agree with what he's saying. Uh, he's definitely, um, you know, preaching the truth, right? A big part of their, their angst uh, of their, um, of this scuttlebutt, if you will, I just wanted to use that word. Uh, but a big part of it, of course, comes from the funding for Ukraine and then doing this and then doing that. And they agree on the resolution. And, but yet now, what are the what are the details of the deal to fund the Ukraine war and what's going on? And clearly, look, I think everybody's everybody has a horse in this fight, right? For everybody. If you want to um, to see uh, progress, if you want to see the government uh, move forward, if you want to see actual governing going on. You, you have to have a, a dog in this fight. You just have to. And whichever one of these guys that you want to pick, and honestly, I, I think we do need compromise here. We have to make this thing work because we have an entire conference, a Republican conference that needs to be led and managed. And um, Gates brings up an excellent point that we're spending like, like uh, drunken sailors, and that can't continue. So where do we find the happy medium? And honestly, that's where politics it lives right it lives at the corner of 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 compromise and and uh, commitment to your own internal constitution the things that you believe and you value so i i have an appreciation for this type of robust conversation because sometimes it can be unhelpful if it's politicized in nature but then there's times where it's principled and i think we saw an example of this at times where it seemed like a power struggle during the confirmation hearings for Speaker McCarthy, but there were times where it wasn't about power. It was really, it was merely about changing the rules and doing things the right way. So I, I look at that and I think to myself, this is in effect the essence of politics. I've been getting Twitter messages from people all, all night long, people like, you know, sending me stuff and tagging me on stuff saying, you know, what's the big deal with, uh, that that's going on now, this rift with some people supporting um, Congressman Gates and others uh, supporting Speaker McCarthy. And I think, honestly, I, I'm, I'm supporting all of them. Everybody has a job to do here and we've got to get it done. And, and that's the bottom line. Um, Gates is doing what he's got to do. So is Speaker McCarthy. That's just how this thing works. That is the essence of politics. I don't think it means our politics is broken. I think it's, it means our politics are working, right? It's This is absolutely necessary in the process. Whether it's your girlfriend, your wife, your congressman, 
you need to have clear, effective, healthy communication. And I think that's what's happening here. They're saying, if you don't do this, this is a concern to me. This is what I need. This is what we have to get done because I represent this swath of people that elected me to this seat to represent their interests. Great. We, the people, need a voice. And that's how that works. And then there are political pressures and there are special interests and there are all sorts of things that they're, they're going to consider in making these decisions. And all of that needs to be considered and fought and debated and agreed. And that's where they're at. So he's filed this motion to vacate. I don't think it gets rid of McCarthy because they're saying that he's uh, well, Gates, I think, has accused him of being the speaker of the Democrats. And of course, the only way that Gates can pull off this uh, motion to vacate and remove McCarthy is by working with the Democrats, in particular AOC, right? She's been of note, uh, a big ally of, of Congressman Matt Gates, And that's not a slight on him. I like Matt Gaetz. Uh, I'm just saying that is the essence of politics. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's a Machiavellian idea, but it's the reality of how our system works. And, and any system, honestly, that's just what it is. They've got to get to a compromise. But we got a couple of clips of Congressman Matt Gaetz, uh after uh, filing his motion to vacate, and I want you to hear what he had to say. It is going to be difficult for my Republican friends to keep calling President Biden feeble while he continues to take Speaker McCarthy's lunch money in every negotiation. <laughs> I like that line. <laughs> you can't say Sleepy Joe's asleep at the wheel if he's cleaning your clock and taking your lunch. I get it. And listen, I do. Uh, I don't know what all of the 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 reasoning and the rationale is behind it. But honestly, at the end of the day, I don't care. I don't care why we're giving so much money. I care that we are giving so much money. Forget the reasoning. The why doesn't really matter. The why and the what if. What really matters is how do we stop it? How do we reduce it? How do we spend it? So I think Matt Gates is sticking to his guns. He's got to do what he's got to do. And he's calling out the speaker. But sometimes when you call people out for, you know, working with Democrats and then the only way to get rid of them is to work with Democrats, it becomes a challenge. So that's why I think we need to continue the debate, continue this robust conversation and continue to figure out how we get past this, uh, because clearly I don't think it's a good idea to get rid of McCarthy. And I agree with what he said. There's a lot of people that would be really, really good at being speaker. Perhaps even some that might do it better than McCarthy. But right now, I don't think there is one that's that identifiable. I don't think there's another person that can work with the diverse number of Republicans that you have in a very thin majority. The speaker role, in my opinion, right now, absolutely critical. You have to balance everybody so that you don't lose anything. Otherwise, then you're going to need the Democrat votes. Tricky game. It's a tricky game. It's real life. This isn't fantasy football. Uh, Congressman Gates had a little bit more to say. Check this out. Speaker McCarthy purposefully delayed us. He tried to back us up against shutdown politics. He tried to not pass single-subject spending bills. And at the end of the day, he had to utilize Democrats to pass a continuing resolution. So if Kevin McCarthy works for Democrats and utilizes Democrats in order to keep power, that would be consistent with everything we've seen from him. Again, you've heard the accusation right now. And again, for this, vacate, uh, this motion to vacate to happen, it's the same thing. So I don't know if it's a fair critique in so much as I think that's part of the speaker's job, right? It's, I, I don't think it's the speaker's job to, to be the top Republican. That's the job of the top uh, of the Republican conference chair, right? When you're speaker, you're speaker of the house and you're going to have to make these deals. 
I, I, at least that's how I see it. Now, does it mean that he has to include all the money in the world? No, of course not. Does that mean he has more power than he's using? Probably. He needs to use some of that power to get more things done. But again, easier said than done. And I get that. I've never gotten the vibe from, from McCarthy that he's not, that he's a saboteur. I don't think he's a saboteur. I think he, he's a California Republican. And he, he does what he has to do to get things done. I get that. I mean, you got to know who you're working with, right? And I think, I think he's very effective at, at this. I really do. Does it mean that he's a, a hardcore conservative? I wouldn't say that. Does he embrace a lot of conservative values? I think he does. And I think that he's, he's, he's willing to make a deal whenever he has to make one because that's kind of the role of speaker. I mean, that's just kind of how it works. Now, I wish um, we had another Newt Gingrich. Yeah, for sure. I would love another Newt Gingrich. Gingrich was smart. But again, Gingrich had, it was a different time in life where we weren't as, as at each other's throats as we are today. And maybe we can get to a time like that again. But until we get another Gingrich, this is where we are and we've got to make it work. Now, I got a couple of more clips from Gates that I want to play very quickly. Um, I'm going to play just one more and then we're going to take a break and talk about the the Trump civil suit, which is... Uh, uh, was unfolding earlier today, and we'll give you the play-by-play on that. But uh, listen to one more from Congressman Matt Gates. We have a lot of folks in Congress who I think would be very capable to serve as speaker. Uh, we need to rebuild trust. And so I think we need someone who can connect the most conservative features of our conference uh, to the most moderate features of our conference. And I understand that. I'm not running for speaker. He did not tell a lie. It's exactly what I just finished saying. We need people that, and I I believe McCarthy can do that. Um, Perhaps Congressman Gates feels like he can't do that uh, because they're they're constantly at odds, but but that's fine. That's why we have Matt Gates, right? That's why Matt Gates is there to say, no, 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 no. I'm putting the brakes on that one. No way, brother. This is what we're going to do. And and that is how this thing works. You know, when we, if we ever have a Tea Party revolution again, or, or the MAGA train takes over Congress and you get a lot of hardcore conservatives that are willing to, to cut spending and, and throw their weight around and, and risk losing another election, great. But few are men like that. So while Matt Gates says he's not running, he should consider it. I think he'd do a fine job. Uh, and, and I think, you know, we, we need that type of energy. And again, it's not a slight of McCarthy. I think McCarthy's doing a, a very good job too. But is there room for improvement? For sure. Do we need to spend so much on Ukraine? No. So, the, the um, pendulum swings both ways, and I believe that we have to continue to push here. And the only way out of this is by striking a deal, because lamentably, that is how politics works. All right, folks, more on the Trump civil suit with uh, one of his attorneys, Jesse Benal, coming up next. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, by the way, your ratings are up. Congratulations. Thank I had somebody. It's always nice to check. I like to see, <laughs> even if they're friends, I like to see how are they doing? Are people listening, right? That's but right. You're, you're doing great. America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is a continuation of the single greatest witch hunt of all time. We have a rogue judge who rules that properties are worth a tiny fraction, one one hundred. A tiny fraction of what they actually are. 
We have a racist attorney general who's a horror show who ran on the basis that she was going to get Trump before she even knew anything about me. She used this to run for governor. She failed in her attempt to run for governor. She had virtually no polling. She came back and she said, well, now I'll go back to get Trump again. And this is what we have. It's a scam. It's a sham. Just so you know, my financial statements are phenomenal. They are actually less in terms of the numbers used than the actual net worth. The actual net worth is substantially more. No bank was affected. No bank was hurt. They don't even know why they have to be involved. And they've so testified. They can't believe that they're involved because they were paid back on time. There were no defaults. There were no problems. And it was like a perfect client. In the meantime, people are being murdered all over the sidewalks of New York. There was no victim here. The banks were represented by the best, biggest, most prestigious law firms in the state of New York, actually in the country. Some of the biggest and best law firms, in all cases, the biggest and best law firms. That's who represented them. The banks got back their money. Again, there was never a default. Of course, that is the voice of the 45th president, who I like to call El Trumpito Donaldus Magnus, the 45th president of these United States. Uh, part of what he said uh, earlier today here in New York at the uh, courthouse. And I've got to say, you know, people, there, there are people, there's been these lawyers all over television today saying all sorts of things like, you know, this, there's, uh, because he's saying there's no victim, it doesn't mean that there wasn't the fraud. And I have to say this. And again, I'm not an attorney. I'm not anything like that. I'm a radio guy and I play one on the radio. But I'll tell you this. If they're saying that he overvalued the price of a property to borrow money more than it was worth and that in so he lied, right? That he uh, he lied about this during a loan. And then they lend him the money and he pays back the money. And then the bank says, we don't have a problem with him then where is the fraud that was perpetuated, right? Where is this fraud? Even if he, even if he lied, I'm just, where is the fraud? The money was paid back. Now, if they're saying he uh, achieved the loan fraudulently, which is what I believe they're trying to say here, as best as I understand this case, I just don't see how the, the crime was permitted, uh, committed ever. I just don't see any crime here. Um, and and I, I also have to, you know, I guess this begs the question, why now? And I think it's painfully obvious why. But I want to get to the bottom of this. So we're bringing in one of Trump's attorneys. Uh, he's not with him on this case, but he's with him in uh, other cases in the past. And he's been on the program before. He's uh, a partner at the Banal Law Firm. Jesse Banal, welcome to the program, sir. Rich, thanks so much for having me tonight. You bet. You bet. So, uh, again, my uh, non-legalese explanation was that of a layman. Uh, how did I do? Correct the record if I was wrong and help us understand. Pretty impressive, actually. Um, you know, if you ever wanted to change careers, you'd, uh, you'd have to place in the law because your legal analysis is a whole heck of a lot better than the attorney general of New York. What a damn shame. So yeah. how and, did they really pull me, this off? Just, yeah, so and, and one of the reasons that you're so spot on uh, here, and it's, it's what President Trump talks a lot as well, is something that um, uh, we, we call materiality. In that, um, even if there there isn't a misstatement, and in this case there really was no misstatement, um, and we can talk about all the different ways that you know, as President Trump correctly stated, um, his net worth was actually much much more than this disclosure showed. Um, but even if there was, 
there still has to be um, a material misrepresentation. Um, and in this case, as you've pointed out, there was no materiality. This is something that uh, should have made it that this case was laughed out of court on a motion to dismiss last year. Uh, but of course it wasn't, and it wasn't because, and we all know why, is because there's this legal establishment um, in places like New York and Washington, D.C. and Atlanta um, that is absolutely dead set um, uh, determined that Donald Trump not be elected president again. It really, to me, it really is painfully obvious. It just seems like this is such a technicality, if that, and it doesn't even seem like that, but if it were, uh, when you have the bank saying, we don't have a problem with it, I mean, take, I would I would suppose that if I, I was to defraud someone and I lie to you and I, I swindle you, that somehow you're going to be aggrieved and say, excuse me, this, this guy ripped us off. We lent him all this money and it wasn't worth that. And, you know, I'm looking at a Forbes article that it's not even that recent saying it's worth 350 million. They were saying it's worth 18 million. How do we get this type of discrepancy? Is this truly just um, malfeasance on the part of the prosecution, which I, I would I would it seems to me that it is. Or is there something that we're all missing? No, it, it is uh, both malfeasance on the, the part of the, the prosecution and a mixture of arrogance and ignorance on behalf of a judge, a judge that was never supposed to hear this case to begin with. Um, one of the reasons that it, you see a, an order that has a lot of people um, scratching their heads in New York and, and really quite scared, even if they won't publicly come out and defend Donald Trump, is because um, this order from the judge last week stands on its head and, and can just be, be used to completely decimate uh, business owners in, in New York. Um, and the important thing to remember here is that this case belonged in the commercial uh, division of that, of that court in New York. In, in New York, it's called the Supreme mm-hmm. Court, even though it's the trial level. Um, so it, it belonged in the commercial division of the, of the uh, Supreme Court. Um, and, but because it was assigned to this judge, he didn't want to let it go. Hmm. Jesse Bennell, hang on right there. The music means we've got to take a quick pause. We're going to come right back and find out why this judge held on to this case and why this is truly, I think, what in Trump's words, a real witch hunt continued. Folks, we're on with Jesse Bennell. He's a partner at the Bennell Law Firm, and he's uh, former President Trump's attorney. We're going to continue to get his take on what happened in the courtroom today. Don't go anywhere. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez, and our guest, Jesse Bennell. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. Persistent and repeated fraud. 
Last week, we proved that in our motion for summary judgment. Today, uh, we will prove our other claims. My message is simple. No matter how powerful you are, no matter how much money you think you may have, no one is above the law. And it is my responsibility and my duty and my job to enforce it. The law is both powerful and fragile. And today in court, we will prove our case. I thank you all for being here. And again, justice will prevail. You know, it seems to me that when I hear certain um, certain politically motivated prosecutors or politicians, when they say things about justice prevailing and no one's above the law, it really means that Trump is beneath the law. <laughs> the law doesn't apply to Trump. We have a separate set of rules for guys like him. It's the strangest thing, and it's terrible. Folks, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. We're here with one of President Trump's attorneys, Jesse Benali, giving us uh, his analysis on what he uh, thinks of the, the case in New York today. Uh, of course, this is the case brought by Letitia James, who you just heard speaking, the attorney general of the state of New York. And this case is being presided over by uh, Judge Arthur Engeron from uh, the New York uh, State Supreme Court is how they deal with trials in New York. And it's interesting because Jesse Benal was just explaining to us why this case is being heard by uh, Judge Engeron and why it shouldn't be. Jesse Benal, welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. So tell us, uh, you, you were we, we left off kind of mid-sentence on why this didn't end up in the commercial litigation section and why it's where it is now. Yeah, and, and the reason it didn't is because this judge badly wanted to get Donald Trump. Um, and if there was any doubt of that, look at the circus that he orchestrated this morning where he had cameras come into the courtroom at the beginning of, of the hearing um, and you saw a very solemn and determined uh, Donald J. Trump uh, with his legal team there next to, to him. And then the camera panned up to the judge who was uh, it decided to pose for the camera <laughs> and then started uh, took off his glasses and uh, had an ear-to-ear grin um, because this is what he wanted. He wanted both the attention. Um, that this yeah. media circus brings, and he wanted the the opportunity to take down Donald Trump because uh, he doesn't want Trump to be uh, elected again. And so, you know, rather than make his uh, voice heard at the polls, or rather than going out on the campaign trail, um, which of course would be inappropriate for for a judge, but he could resign from the bench and he could go out on the campaign trail and campaign against Donald Trump. But that's not what he chose to do. He chose to turn his courtroom into a political forum and an opportunity uh, to target the leading candidate for president of the United States. Uh, it, it's shameful, in my opinion. I, I saw the clip you're talking about, and I'd never, I'd never seen that before. In any court yeah. TV or any court anything that I've seen where there was televised court proceedings, you know, Judge Lance Ito, who's probably very famous for his O.J. Simpson stuff, I've never seen a judge, you know, take off his, it was, he was so giddy. He took off his glasses. He got to, you know, put his shoulders back, put on a big smile. Uh, yeah. Like he'd never been on TV before. You know, the guy, the guy, this is a white haired old judge. You'd think he's done a bunch of things on television uh, as a judge. And again, I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it was definitely true to me. When I saw how excited he got to be on TV, I said, oh, my gosh, this guy's in the wrong business. <laughs> he should be yeah, uh, right. you know, a legal analyst or have one of those judge shows where, you know, you do arbitration. 
uh, but definitely not ruling ruling uh, over or presiding over these types of cases. So what was the, the outcome that you uh, took away today? What happened in the courtroom? Well, I mean, it's uh, nothing is over right now. Apparently, the judge did acknowledge what's already been held, um, which is that the vast majority of this case has already been thrown out because it was barred by the statute of limitations. They brought this case years too late um, in many cases. Uh, and so, you know, that part appears to be good and promising, but I, I still say that, with, uh, you know, crossing my fingers that this judge is going to still find a way uh, to do everything he can to destroy Trump and, and his businesses. Um, and so that's, um, uh, it, it has to give anybody right now in New York some serious, serious uh, qualms about continuing to do business there because, uh, I mean, it's, it's, President Trump right now, and it's also been the National Rifle Association. Uh, anybody who has ties uh, on the right um, will be targeted by the New York legal infrastructure for for destruction. They will do everything they can to destroy you. Um, and if you you know if you're a lawyer like me, you know it's a little bit easier to pick up my shop and move it to another state. Um, but Donald Trump, you know he built things in his life. He took and, and created so much of New York. You can't just take and, and get up and, you know, move Trump Tower uh, to a, right. another city or another state. Um, and it's so sad because that's the kind of people we really need, much more than lawyers. We need people in this country who create things. Um, and yet when they do that, they just become, right now, this target. Like we're in a, like, it's Bolsheviks. It's crazy. It really is. And I look at this and I think, man, this is tough. And, you know, you just mentioned like you as a lawyer, you could pick up shop. But, you know, had you been the former mayor of the city of New York and an infamous New Yorker like Rudy Giuliani and they came after his law license and he's still fighting that stuff. It it, it seems like there's there's no um, no line they won't cross to try to abuse their authority um, as as jurists to uh, to come after people. And I think that's that's a very scary idea because. Trump's here today and he'll be here for a while, but there'll be a day where there's a new Trump, right? The, the, the next target where they want to throw the, the entire weight of everything and invent things and bring charges for things that aren't even crimes years after the fact, way after the statute of limitations on civil cases. I mean, it's not like this is a murder case, you know, and, and I, I just uh, I'm, I'm shocked by the whole thing. So what's the next step in this process, Jesse Bunnell? Well, I mean, the next step for, for them is they're going to still continue, and in, in I, by them I'm, I mean not only Letitia James, um, but also the Jack Smiths and, and Fannie Willis of, of the world as, as well. Um, they're going to continue trying to do everything they can to go after Donald Trump. Um, you know, lucky for us, we have the most uh, determined and resolute man that I, I think that we've seen in America in a long time um, who's just not going to let him get away with it. Um, and, uh, Alina Hobb, I think really hit the nail on the head today when she said, um, that she's losing faith in our legal system, but she has full faith in, in Donald Trump. And that's a, you know, that's a, a, I think a sad thing for Alina to say, and it's a very sad thing for me today. I used to really like being able to tell my clients, you know, we're going into court today. We might win, we might not, but this judge is going to do everything he can to get the law right. You know, judges aren't perfect, but this judge is going to do everything he can 
to get the law right here. And I can't tell my clients that right now, not in political cases, because there's way too many judges that are going to go into a courtroom and they're going to try to get their politics, uh, uh, you know, enforced into, into the law. Um, and that's a very, very sad day for America. It means that we're really losing um, the rule of law that, that our founders um, have handed down to us. Um, and when we lose the rule of law, you know, that the thread that is our, our republic really starts to become undone. You know, Jesse Benell, I've heard some analysis today with with lawyers that were chiming in on, on what they saw. And I, I heard one lawyer in particular saying that, you know, what, what President Trump did making, you know, stating his case. And and he said only he could have done it because uh, his lawyers would never say the things that he said and, and insult the attorney general, insult the judge and do this and do that. And I'm thinking I, I would say a lot worse than Trump did if they did that to me. <laughs> you know, Something yeah. he was quite the gentleman. But uh, it's amazing how uh, to me I hear that and I'm just thinking, so the guy's supposed to sit there and shut up. Now, I get it. Lawyers often say, shut up. Let me do the talking. And I get that. But you're held to a standard as an officer of the court. I'm not held to that standard. I'm not an officer of the court. I'm I'm the defendant, you bet. and I'm going to defend myself. Am I wrong? You're absolutely not wrong. Um, and while in the normal course of events, I would I would agree with lawyers who say, you know, you as the client need to say nothing to anyone who you don't have a privileged relationship with. That's just not possible when this legal infrastructure has decided to throw the rule of law out the window and target their political opponents. Um, because this is far more about their political aim. And, you know, in, in the courtroom, their adversary might be the lawyer. But in, in the, the political realm, their adversary is directly Donald J. Trump. And there's nobody better to talk to these political issues um, uh, that these, you know, judges and prosecutors have, have brought us to than Donald J. Trump. So I've, uh, it's unorthodox for sure, uh, but nothing that's going on in our country right now is orthodox. So I think President Trump is, is acting absolutely appropriately. Um, and I mean, again, let's, let's remember that um, we're not in a system where he can, he can depend on a fair result um, from this trial that's going on. Uh, he really doesn't have a lot to lose by going out and speaking directly to the American people the way that he's doing right now. Right. And he can't rely on a jury of his peers because there's no jury. This is a civil case that's going to be ultimately determined by the judge. Uh, Jesse Bennell, yep. I guess uh, one minute to you before we wrap. What? How do we fix this problem? How do we remedy this so that this doesn't happen again? Well, we elect Donald Trump. Um, and... Uh, you know, through my entire life uh, in politics, I've always heard every election people say this is the most important election of our lifetime. And you're around it in politics and you always just kind of roll your eyes because it's always that way. Well, this time, this isn't the most important election in our lifetime. This is the most important election in our republic. Um, and if we can't find a way to go out and work our tails off, to win this election, um, then the rule of law will continue to be destroyed. Uh, there will be nothing to stop these people from going after all the rest of us. And um, the, the republic that we know and love, the, the republic that we have inherited from our, our founders will be lost to history. 
Uh, so we need to give it everything we got, which is why I'm glad you got people like Scott Pressler coming up because um, there's a lot of people right now that are, are mm-hmm. really working their tails off um, to uh, to make sure that we, we win next year and we must win. Outstanding. I agree with you 100%. This is a, it's a big fight and everybody's got to do their part. Jesse Bennell, attorney for President Trump, partner at the Bennell Law Firm, Law Group, excuse me. Uh, I really appreciate your time. You're a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot, and I thank you for staying up late with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. Taking your calls on this and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We just heard Letitia James make comments that nobody is above the law. I think that's quite rich, considering that anybody that's a Democrat, including the Biden family, seems to be above the law every day. That is, of course, uh, President Trump's uh, civil attorney on the case, Alina Haba. We've had her on the program before. Very eloquent. She always nails it. And uh, she says that this is blatant election interference. And I have to say, it seems like that to me. Had they brought this case within the statute of limitations, uh, would have made a ton more sense. Um, but they didn't, right? They just they simply didn't. They decided, uh, what can we dig up from his past and try and make it look like it's something that'll stick? Uh, I, I, this is so, um, it really is disheartening to me because it's it's not just an unfair playing field for Trump. And this is not a woe is Trump thing. This is really a, a woe is my, me, woe is my children, woe is our future. Because all they've got to do is paint you as this big bad wolf the, the way they paint Trump. And all of a sudden, we can become an authoritarian regime all of a sudden and treat people differently. Where the Constitution goes out the window, nobody's uh, innocent until proven guilty, and nobody has um, any Sixth Amendment rights to uh, effective counsel, to defend themselves, you, you name it. They just literally shred our founding documents and they do what they want to do in the name of state statutes or federal statutes. And they could care less about we the people. They could care less about our natural rights. This to me is so alarming, so alarming, so concerning because there's every now and again, you'll see a miscarriage of justice. You'll hear that story about the guy that was on death row for 30 years and then they found out through DNA that it wasn't the right guy or whatever. And that's terrible. And it is. And, and period. It's terrible. And, and I think it, it, but that's, that was an accident, right? Or sloppy uh, investigating or, or sloppy prosecuting or whatever it was, maybe even malicious. But this is not one case. This is many cases, right? Uh, how many? 400 uh, years in jail? 91 felony counts? I mean, what on earth did Donald Trump do? I mean, I've seen some reaction videos to people uh, in the inner city, in different in different um, urban areas in the country, and they they ask people that are on the street, you know, what do you think about Trump getting four hundred years, uh, you know, a potential sentence of four one hundred year sentences, four hundred years, and facing ninety one felony counts, and uh, of course this is after being impeached twice, and and people on the street, they're just shocked. And they're like, what, what on earth did Trump do? <laughs> There's people out there like El Chapo Guzman. He's not out there anymore. He's in jail. 
But my point is there are so many people out there that could could really benefit from a, a correctional facility for the way they, they live their lives, the things that they do. And and then you have Trump, who's running for president, and he's whatever, whatever you think of him, pompous, arrogant, whatever it is. That doesn't mean that you get to go to jail because of your attitude. It doesn't mean you get to go to jail because people don't like the way you say things, because you break protocol, because you tell your lawyer, now, you know what, instead of you giving your statement outside the court, I'll give mine. You give your statement inside the court, I'll give mine outside. There's nothing wrong with that. And just, it amazes me. Anyway. How much time? So I want you to, I only played a part of what President Trump said earlier. I got another little clip of it that I want to play for you when we come back. So don't move a muscle. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. The crime is against me because we have a corrupt district attorney, but we have a corrupt attorney general. And it all comes down from the DOJ. They're totally coordinated this in Washington because I'm leading. I'm the leading candidate. I'm leading Biden by 10 points. And I'm leading the Republicans by 50 and 60 points. That's pretty much, they say, over. I never accept that, but they say it's over. This has to do with election interference, plain and simple. They're trying to damage me so that I don't do as well as I'm doing in the election. Our country's gone to hell. We have a country that's in decline, serious decline. We have a man running our country who has no clue, doesn't know what he's doing, and you know it better than anybody because you have to cover him. What they've done with open borders, what they've done with interest rates and taxes, it's a disgrace. So what we have here is an attempt to hurt me in an election. It's an attempt to hurt me in an election. This never happened before, where President of the United States leaves office and gets indicted. And the reason I got indicted was that I ran. If I didn't run, I'd be sitting right now at a beach like Biden does every time, even though he's supposed to be working. So very simply put, it's a witch hunt. It's a disgrace. It's a witch hunt and it's a disgrace. I can't can't say I disagree at all. I think he's spot on. I believe if Trump would not have announced anything, you know, there was, I don't know, how long has it been since he's been in office? 35 months or something like that? They, they didn't decide to do, do anything. They wait till he announces. All of a sudden, all right, here we go. We're bringing up every last case we can bring from 8 million years ago. Things that are, you know, expired from the statute of limitations. Scary stuff, folks. Scary stuff. You remove Trump and you put anybody, John Q. Public, any, mem- any member of our society in there. And you say, you know, is this right? Is it fair? Is this America? Is this liberty? Hell No. It's none of the above. That's a problem. That's the problem. Anyway, folks, we're going to continue our discussion to find out what's going on. You know, today, uh, the Supreme Court said, no, you can't keep Trump off the ballot. We're going to talk about the Supreme Court, maybe a little Menendez and everything else on the news of the day. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right there. Give us a call if you'd like to join us. And don't move that muscle because we're coming right back. I'm Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you for hour number two of our program tonight. Happy Monday. And a uh, quick headline for you. There's an exclusive in the Daily Mail. It says, Hunter Biden was suspected of hiring prostitutes from an Eastern European sex trafficking ring during uh, his binges on drugs and falsifying checks to pay the women. And this is according to Treasury documents that were uh, just released. Investigators found payments from Hunter and his companies to a suspected Eastern European prostitution ring. The associate, the, those associated with the ring included women with Russian passports and a China-based company to which the money was funneled. Hmm, interesting stuff. More on that later on. Then another big story here. Uh, the Supreme Court rejected the case that Trump should be disqualified from the ballot under the 14th Amendment. That's some big news. And there's other news coming out of the Supreme Court as well. Uh, and we're going to get to that as well as uh, some of the other stuff that's going on uh, with the Supreme Court term just starting. And I want to get into some analysis on that with Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow and the manager uh, for the Supreme Court and Appellate Advocacy Program at the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Zach Smith, welcome, sir. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show tonight. I appreciate it. You bet. Likewise. So let's uh, jump into that first bit uh, that you heard. What can you tell us about uh, SCOTUS not taking this long-shot bid to disqualify Trump from the ballot? Yeah, I don't think this was particularly surprising. You know, one of the big issues that has come up a lot in the past several years is about whether the person bringing the challenge is the right party to bring the challenge. And so essentially what the courts say in many cases, you may remember from the student loan cases, was whether a party has standing, that is the legal ability uh, to bring these challenges. And so I suspect one of the reasons that the court may have chosen not to take up this case was that the person bringing it was found in the lower courts not to have standing, not to be the right party uh, to bring this challenge. And so at least for now, uh, this seems to be good news for Donald Trump that the Supreme Court is not going to take up this case. But I suspect in large part it was because the person bringing it couldn't show that he himself had personally uh, been injured uh, sufficient to bring a case. Right. And so just, uh, you know, your your take on this, when someone brings a case like that, uh, don't they know this ahead of time that they don't have standing? Do they just do it anyway <laughs> to get headlines? <laughs> Why on earth do they do it in the well, first place? Well, in slight defense of some uh, of plaintiffs who bring these cases, the court standing doctrine is a mess, <laughs> to, to put it nicely. Uh, and there's been a lot of wrangling over who has standing, whether certain third parties can bring standing. We've seen that a lot in the student loan context. We've seen that a lot in the abortion challenges that have been brought recently. And so there is a fair bit of confusion about who has standing to bring a case. Uh, but in this particular case, look, I think this was a, a long shot <laughs> 
case from the outset. I suspect it was done to gain uh, publicity for the person bringing it more than anything right. else. Uh, but look, you know, this entire theory of the case itself has been very controversial. Uh, many legal academics are saying there's nothing to it, that Donald Trump really can't be disqualified from the ballot without a conviction or some finding of guilt by somebody. Others are saying that, yes, he can be removed. Uh, but so far, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, as we saw today, has chosen not to intervene. Now, with the new term of the um, Supreme Court kicking off, uh, what are some of the things that did make the docket? What are you looking forward to? Yeah, well, look, it sounds very uh, nerdy and in the weeds when we first talk about it, but this is going to be a big term in terms of administrative law. Basically, the court deciding what rules and regulations unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats can implement. Now, the specific questions in each of these cases are somewhat narrow. Uh, one case, for instance, involves fishermen in uh, the New England area and whether they can be compelled yeah. to pay for fishing monitors who ride on their boats. Uh, another case involves but the then funding this is mechanism. the fishing monitors that are requiring them to drive like nine miles an hour. <laughs> well, it's the fishing monitors that are in, in implementing a host of restrictions. But I think what really galled the fishermen in this case is called the Loper-Bright case is the fact that the regulatory agency overseeing them said, not only do you have to allow the monitors to ride on your boat, you also have to pay for them. And we're making that regulation even though the statute doesn't say that anywhere. Congress never said you have to pay for them. And so what's at stake in the Loper Bright case, what the court's being asked to revisit is something called Chevron deference. That comes from an earlier Supreme Court case in the 1980s, where basically the court said if a statute's unclear or if it's ambiguous in any way, the court should defer to the decisions of these unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. So basically what that means in practice is that these administrative agencies often are interpreting what their own powers are, what things they can require of the individuals they regulate, even though Congress has never explicitly given them that power. And so that's shifted a lot of power to these administrative agencies. It shifted a lot of power away from Congress, away from the courts where the framers intended it to reside. And so it'll be very interesting to watch what happens in this fisheries case, uh, because the implications are going to go well beyond that narrow specific case involving New England fishermen and could fundamentally alter how the administrative state today uh, works in practice. So when when these unelected bureaucrats get to figure out how much power they have, um, seems like a pretty good gig if you can get it right. <laughs> Limitless power. You just do what you want. Well, it seems like it. But, you know, one of the mechanisms the framers intended to be a check on executive action, executive authorities, they gave Congress the power of the purse, the ability to say, right. if you're doing something we don't like, something we think is unconstitutional or just a bad idea, we can cut off your funding stream to it. Well, that leads into an issue the court's being asked to decide in another case uh, involving the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Now, you may remember this was a bureau set up in the wake of the financial crisis in 2008. It was given broad regulatory authority by Congress uh, in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Mm -hmm. But what was really interesting <coughs> is Congress created a unique funding mechanism for it. They said it was going to essentially get funding in perpetuities through certain fees and other uh, funds that the Federal Reserve System has, and it wouldn't be subject to the annual appropriations process like essentially every other federal regulatory agency. And so now that 
funding mechanism is being challenged as violating the uh, Constitution's appropriations clause. And even though, again, that sounds kind of like a narrow, very fact-bound, very in-the-weeds issue, it's actually a very important one because at the end of the day, the issue that's at stake in the CFPB case uh, is whether our separation of powers that are required in the Constitution, whether those are going to be enforced or whether Congress can simply ignore those whenever it suits its, its will. This is so crazy. It really is uh, the, the fact that these things, I mean, it's good that they're going to court and they're going to get resolution, but it's, it's amazing how far they go. Uh, I, from what my perspective, I don't even think we need the, uh, th- that board anymore, uh, but we'll see how that, that right. whole thing uh, ends up. Now, the, the other thing I wanted to talk with you about is there's a, you put together a list of five cases. So you mentioned a couple. What are some of the other top cases? Yeah, another big one that a lot of people are watching is one called Moore versus United States. And again, at first glance, this is, really appears to be a technical issue. Congress passed a law basically saying it's individuals holding stock in certain foreign corporations. If they had unrealized gains, they were going to be taxed on a one-time basis on those gains. Now, that may apply to a very you know, narrow set of individuals, it's supposedly a one-time tax, but it's very problematic because if this tax is allowed to stand, the rationale underlying it could be used to implement a wealth tax. So we've heard a lot of talk about this from those on the left, essentially saying that even if you have certain unrealized gains, gains that haven't uh, – you know, crude to you as oh, income, yeah. as we traditionally think about it, you may be taxed on those. Uh, and what's interesting about this case is the 16th Amendment to the Constitution is what allows Congress to uh, implement a personal income tax. We couldn't have an income tax, uh, arguably, until the 16th Amendment was passed in the early 20th century. And that's because the Constitution, as originally written, says that taxes must be apportioned equally among the states. And so the argument in this case is because there was no income, uh, the 16th Amendment doesn't apply, meaning any taxes that Congress levied would have to be apportioned among the states, which this clearly wasn't. But look, uh, the big takeaway in this case, Rich, is that if the action of Congress is allowed to stand, uh, it could very well serve as the basis for a future wealth tax uh, whenever the left finds that to be politically convenient. I remember when they brought this case, and I was blown away that anybody would even dare try to tax unrealized gains. Yes. How is that even? Obviously, that's their case. How is this legal? But what is their reasoning for how that's legal? Well, it's really, you know, just from a practical perspective, too, think about how problematic this is. You know, one of the reasons gains and losses are un are unrealized is because the stock market fluctuates, bonds can fluctuate. And so what's interesting, what I haven't heard many on the left talk about from just a practical perspective, if you're taxed on unrealized gains, are you going to receive an offset for unrealized losses? (laughs) No one has talked about that yet. 
but look, again, you know, I don't think this uh, was given a close look, unfortunately, at the time it was passed because it did apply to such a narrow class of individuals because it was supposedly a one-time uh, law that Congress was passing, you know, one-time only tax. But of course, we know that once Congress or the executive branch takes an action, there's a precedent and you can use that again in the future for future actions. And so, yeah, the case of the Moors is that this is unconstitutional uh, and that it violates the uh, the Constitution as originally written. And look, you know, more importantly, if this is allowed to proceed, you know, it really upends our entire concept, uh, uh, our entire framework for income taxation, uh, how we treat income, how we treat losses. And so I think, you know, those who pass this law really uh, could be getting more than they bargained for if it's allowed to stand. Yeah, I, I can only imagine the only people that are going to be interested in and the reverse, what you just mentioned, um, getting an offset for unrealized losses. I mean, I, I think a lot of people would be interested, but mainly uh, the big box retailers that are shutting down stores left and right yeah. because they're getting robbed blind. And uh, they could just, you know, ostensibly say, oh, sure, we have all these unrealized uh, losses because we're getting robbed everywhere and we expect to get robbed some right. more. So, you know, and uh, that, that seems like another disaster waiting to happen. Uh, folks, we are on with Zach Smith. He's a legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, and he's uh, the manager of the Supreme Court and Appellate Advocacy Program at the uh, Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And we're going to continue straight ahead. And I want to dig into that a little bit. I know you, you've done some commentary recently on how shoplifting has become the, the organized shoplifting, the smash and grab, the people just looting while stores are open, uh, has become a $100 billion problem. And I want to get your take on that straight ahead. So, folks, don't move a muscle. If you want to join the conversation, feel free. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And I want to hit the phones real quick because um, uh, somebody has a question for our guest, Zach Smith, from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, let's go to Sue in Schwenksville, Pennsylvania. Sue, you're on with Zach Smith and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Well, this topic is insane. The idea of being taxed on unrealized gains. It's like, at what point in time? At the end of the year? At the end of every year? What if you own a stock for 10 years? Now what when you decide to sell it? So how are they going to offset all the taxes you've already paid uh, against whatever you gain at the end of the thing? And then what about people who have Roths and things like that? Okay, supposedly they pay the taxes before the money goes in there, but, you know, that's going to increase in value. Are they going to be off the hook then? I mean, it's just crazy. And, and you know, like, who has the amount of CPAs to manage everybody's accounts? It's just just logistically, aside from the fact that it's unconstitutional, logistically, how are they going to manage this if they do that? Thank you, Sue. Zach? 
Yeah, I don't think they've thought through all the logistics like we were talking about before, Rich. This law, if it's allowed to stand, could have a host of unintended consequences. I think Sue's points are all uh, very well taken. I don't think there's been a lot of thought given to it. But look, I think what should concern most of us is the precedent this would set on a constitutional basis uh, if it's allowed to stand. And so I think that's why, in part, uh, the Supreme Court has agreed to hear this case uh, to resolve the underlying issues of what exactly the Constitution requires in terms of uh, when it tries to uh, implement a tax on income uh, that really isn't income because it hasn't been realized. Excellent answer. Thank you, Sue. And Zach Smith, in uh, the time we have remaining, uh, I'd love for you to take a couple of minutes to explain how we got into this $100 billion ordeal of organized crime in the form of shoplifting. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you bringing attention to this because, look, retailers and particularly small businesses around the country are suffering uh, from an absolute tsunami of retail theft that's been taking place. And you mentioned it's a hundred billion dollar problem, and it is. Mm -hmm. But to put this in context, uh, the theft in certain corporations are so bad that they're actually having to restart reporting the losses for publicly traded companies on their earnings costs. We just heard last week that certain stores like Target and CVS and others are closing even more locations because of theft. Uh, Home Depot, uh, last year, they lost $800 million to what they call shrink, uh, which is theft and some other types of loss. Uh, so far this year, they're on track to lose $500 million more than that. Wow. And that's one company. Uh, and so the numbers are absolutely staggering. But look, we got into this mess in large part because left-leaning politicians, particularly what I call rogue prosecutors in certain liberal cities, decided that they weren't going to enforce certain laws anymore, including what they viewed as essentially harmless crimes like shoplifting and petty theft. Now, my colleague and I at the Heritage Foundation, we wrote an entire book on rogue prosecutors, this entire movement. It's called Rogue Prosecutors, How Radical Soros Lawyers Are Destroying America's Communities. You can find it on Amazon or Barnes and & Nobles, and I hope everyone uh, will check it out to understand yeah. the ideology, the goals of this movement, and what types of policies are being implemented. Uh, but look, at the end of the day, Rich, what happened was that these left-leaning prosecutors, these left-leaning politicians, decided that they were going to tolerate certain types of crimes. They sent that message to the community, and right. for all their flaws, criminals aren't stupid. They understood the message, and they've taken advantage. Absolutely horrific what's going on. I like to call them pro-crime progressive prosecutors that coddle criminals because I feel like that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> Zach Smith, I want to thank you for being with us. Folks, check out his book. Uh, he's the legal fellow and manager of the Supreme Court and Appellate Advocacy Program at the Ed Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. And, sir, you are a gentleman, a scholar, and a patriot. Thanks for staying up with us tonight. <laughs> of course. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the importance of registering to vote and how to win the 2024 election. With Scott Pressler, don't move a muscle. I'm Rich Valdez.
Rich Valdez. So the 2024 election is heating up. Uh, we're, we're, you know, I don't know, 15 months away or something like that or 14 months, whatever it is. And there's a whole bunch of people out there that don't know if they're registered to vote, if they are. It's funny. Today, I have uh, two kids in college and my youngest daughter, she's a freshman. She just started. Uh, she's probably in for about a month now. And today she tells me, I registered to vote. And I said, good for you, kid. And she's writing an essay on voting. And we're talking about the importance of voting the privilege of voting, uh, and, and and as she alluded to, the right to, to vote. And uh, she was saying it's not, it is, it is in effect a privilege, but she said it's not just a privilege, it, it's truly a right of ours, and we should take that right seriously. And this was just something, uh, this conversation we just had today over dinner a couple hours ago. And I thought, you know, that's great. It's great to see that young people are taking the the role of, of being a voter seriously. Because far too often I bump into people, in particular young people, but every now and again other people that are just disaffected or um, just uninterested in participating in, in the electoral process. And I think to myself, we need to do more. And for years I've always thought, you know, if you're the underdog candidate, irrespective of party, and you want to win any election, you just need to have more people that are going to vote for you, right? <laughs> it's very simple. But I always thought of it as forget chasing the same people, the red team, the blue team, you know more or less who they're going to vote for. You really got to go after the undecideds, the independents, and you just got to get more people into the voter universe, and then you could win. And it's a novel idea, but of course a very difficult one to pull off because there's a lot of man hours that go into this type of thing. And somebody is out there, and he's doing it. His name is Scott Pressler. He's the founder and executive director of Early Vote Action. And I want to talk about that. Uh, because he's been out in a bunch of different states all over the country, from Kentucky to Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and making sure that he's doing his very best to make sure people are registered. And I think that's incredibly important. So I want to learn more about uh, his his work and about the outcome that he's seeking to have. And he's with us now. Scott Pressler, welcome to the program. Hi, Rich. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, brother. Uh, the work you're doing is quite commendable. Earlier, we were on the phone with one of Trump's lawyers, and he said, I'm really happy that you're going to have Scott Pressler on tonight because he's out there and he's doing hmm. a damn good job. So and that was Jesse Benoit, wow, by the cool. way. that's cool. Yeah, it was cool. Thank and, you. Uh, and I thought, I said, you know what? I, and I know you're out there. I've seen you. Uh, we have some mutual um, colleagues, and uh, your name's come up, and I know that you're out there hitting the pavement, doing what has to be done. How did this come about? You seem like a really young guy, and and you don't strike me as overtly political. Not to say you're covertly <laughs> political, but you, you just strike me as as somebody who's looking to do the right thing. That's my take on you know not even knowing you like that. But uh, what was the impetus? How did you get involved in this, and why? Sure. Well, a little bit about my background. My dad is a retired Navy captain. I am an Eagle Scout. I graduated wow. from George Mason University with a degree in criminal justice, and I graduated during the Obama years, you know, so it was kind of tough to get a job. So I started walking dogs for a living, and I went on to work at an elementary school. President Obama gets reelected in 2012, and it was that night of his reelection, I actually created my Twitter account because I was really mad. But more importantly, I thought to myself, I'm not just mad at President Obama, and I'm not just mad at the state of the world. I'm ultimately mad at myself 
because I was like, where are you registering voters? Where are you knocking on doors? Where are you being the change that you want to see in the world? And so I changed up everything. I moved to Texas in 2014. I didn't know anybody there. Traveled halfway across the country. I helped to elect Governor Greg Abbott in the great state of Texas. And then I thought to myself, I don't want the Supreme Court to be decided by Hillary Clinton. So I spent two years of my life working to defeat her and electing Donald J. Trump as the 45th president of the United States. And President Trump changed my life because he was talking about the city of Baltimore, Maryland. And I saw that everybody was tweeting about it, Rich. They were talking about the problems Mm -hmm. of the city of Baltimore, but nobody was doing anything. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm going to go into the city. I'm going to do a cleanup. And we did. We got 200 volunteers to pick up 12 tons of trash in 12 hours. And I just started traveling the country, cleaning up our cities, registering voters. And I guess my main goal is I just want to empower the average American citizen that maybe is hopeless or feels helpless. And I want them to understand that if I, a dog walker, can lead this life, then they can also find ways that they can take positive action to change our country. That's my goal. Outstanding. It really is. Um, and I find it amazing. I really do that you have such passion and energy because this is a tough gig. It really is. And, and to, to be out there and, and braving the, um, the elements that come with the political ecosystem when you're trying to do this, uh, I can't imagine it's easy. What type of challenges do you face? Well, number one, I had to drink a coffee just to stay awake for you tonight, Rich. So, I mean, <laughs> well, thank right God there. you did. <laughs> Every now and again, we get somebody who didn't have their, their uh, cup of coffee before the show, and they're like, yeah, well, you know, because. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm, gl- I mean, I'm grateful. It's, it's so much. You know, um, I was doing an event the other day. I got protested, <laughs> protested. Uh, for trying to engage people and register voters. Or, you know, I think the biggest thing that hurts in doing this work is the pessimism that I met with. I am working, I'm working so hard. I'm working tirelessly 24 hours a day, it feels like, trying to defeat Joe Biden. And when I'm registering voters and activating people and traveling the country, trying to get good people into office, I'm just met with so much pessimism of Scott, it's the machine, Scott, it's rigged, Scott, what's the point? Scott, the Republicans in the office aren't even doing anything. Scott, what difference are we going to make? And, you know, despite that all, I just, the only thing that I can do is stay positive, keep my chin up and keep working in the right direction. And you know what? I, I keep thinking about the people that are helping me. Like, for example, we have done two letter writing campaigns in Kentucky and Louisiana alone that we've been writing to new movers, people that have moved to the state to get them registered to vote, get them registered as a Republican and make sure that they're electing Daniel Cameron as governor in Kentucky and Jeff Landry as governor in Louisiana. And I think to myself, wait a second, Scott, you have 700 people working across the country, writing handwritten letters that they themselves are providing postage for, you know, I, you can't always focus on the people that aren't helping you. I'm going to focus on the love and support of those that are, and that helps kind of keep me grounded in the work that I do. Now, do you include in the letter writing campaign in Kentucky, um, maybe like a paragraph or a postscript 
saying, please don't vote for Mitch McConnell, anything like that? <laughs> no, no, I keep things very positive. So, I mean, when people want to write letters, I send them a template that is a Google Doc, and it basically just says something to the effect of, Dear Rich, uh, welcome to your Louisiana home. Please keep in mind that Louisiana is a closed primary presidential state. So if you want to vote in the Republican primary, you need to be registered as a Republican. Make a plan to vote for Jeff Landry on Saturday, October 14th. Short, sweet, succinct, to the point. I include the uh, GoVote, G-E-A-U-X, Vote.com link that they can register to vote online. But no, I keep everything very positive. When you show up somewhere and you set up a table or whatever it is that you're doing to register people, and you said sometimes people are protesting you. What is that like? What is it? What type of protest are you experiencing? Well, it never happens. That's the thing. I mean, this is like maybe it's because we're being effective and our voter registration numbers in Pennsylvania are so yeah. good that the Democrats are realizing that they are vulnerable. I mean, I was just in Center County in College State at Penn State University with a Republican table. And not a person bat their eye, you know, because it was National Voter Registration Day. So, of course, that's like my holiday. I have to be out there. And you know what the coolest thing is? The majority of students that we registered overwhelmingly were Republican. We registered a total of 22 voters that day. Two were Democrats, 13 were Republicans, and seven were independents. And that just shows me that the Democrat Party does not have a lock on young people or Gen Z. We were talking about things like kids don't want censorship. They don't want the government telling them what they can and cannot say. They are finding that the nature of our food prices and gas prices are unaffordable. I mean, kids are being even outpriced on buying cars, buying homes. And then couple that with the lockdowns. You know, we have an important race in Pennsylvania this November for Supreme Court that nobody is talking about. Mm -hmm. And it's my contention that in 2024, the lockdowns are going to come back. The mask mandates are going to come back. So if you're listening right now to the Rich Valdez show and you live in Pennsylvania, please make a plan to vote for Judge Carolyn Carluccio to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court this November. That's a great point, and I'm glad you're putting a, a focus and giving attention to that because it was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court that really, really made a horrible decision uh, in the 2020 election to uh, allow the Secretary of State and the governor to kind of bypass the the state legislature and just change election law, and we saw how disastrous those results were. And is Pennsylvania and Kentucky the only states here, and I saw a couple of other states here, um, I want you when we come back, I want you to tell us a little bit about the success that you've had overall since you started doing this and in particular in each state. So stick with us. Folks, we're on with Scott Pressler. He's the founder and executive director of Early Vote Action. And if you have a question or you want to chime in on the conversation, give us a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Scott Pressler at The Persistence. He's uh, on Twitter if you want to check him out. He's the founder and executive director of Early Vote Action. And uh, he's been kicking butt and taking names. All right, just taking names. He's taking names uh, to register voters. And it's that's how you win elections, right? You register people to vote, people that weren't involved in the process. And now here they are. Uh, Scott Pressler, you were telling us about some of the successes that you've had. Uh, what what has your experience been like since you started doing this? Have you seen growth? Um, what What are you experiencing? Definitely. Well, 2022 showed some of that growth. So, for example, I am definitely a voter registration guru. That's what I cut my teeth in. I, I love it. And, for example, I was very focused on Long Island, New York, and Florida. And so, for example, one of the counties that we worked tirelessly in to flip from blue to red is Pinellas County, Florida. That was home to Charlie Crist a sitting congressman that ran against Ron DeSantis for governor, right? We actually, because of our voter registration efforts, flipped Pinellas County from blue to red. And in part, that's a part of the reason why we won back control of the House of Representatives in 2022. We elected yeah. Congresswoman Anna Polina Luna from that district. And yeah, we had her on uh, election night victory. Uh, it was a big win. She's phenomenal. She is phenomenal. She's a great woman. Absolutely support her. And also on Long Island, I spent two years working on Long Island, registering thousands of voters. We were able to add 15,000 Republicans to the voter rolls on Long Island. And in part in 2022, because of the great Lee Zeldin, because of the failed Democrat policies in the state of New York, we were able to flip two congressional districts, three and four on Long Island, and we won four additional that year in 2022. And so I had a hand in part in helping to take back the House of Representatives in 2022 because of focusing on voter registration and an all of the above approach to voting. That's terrific. And there were a, a, a good a good number of wins that came out of New York. And I remember Long Island kind of all going red in that election. So kudos to you on that one. So what's on the forefront? What what comes next for you? Well, at earlyvoteaction.com, we're focused on Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And the reason why is we win those five states we win the White House, we defeat the Joe Biden, and we've won the necessary 270 that we need in order to win. However, I am a forward-thinking person, and I understand that victory begets victory. And we cannot become so forward-looking that we forget the present. What is happening this year in 2023 that can set us up for success next year. And that's why on this conversation, I've already discussed with you Louisiana, Kentucky, Pennsylvania. So to everybody listening right now, we have elections this November, 2023. Kentucky, governorship, Daniel Cameron for governor. Louisiana, governorship, Jeff Landry for governor. But but remind yourself, it's not November, it's Saturday, October 14th for Jeff Landry. Mississippi, reelect. Kate Reeves, Pennsylvania, Judge Carolyn Corluccio to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. That one, asterisk, asterisk, it's very important. And then we also have New Jersey, 
people don't understand. Look at Senator Bob Menendez being indicted for bribery. There are a lot gold of things bar happening bar? right Oh, well, listen, doesn't everybody receive gold bars from foreign countries? And doesn't everybody line their pockets at home with thousands of dollars? I'm still waiting for my gold bars. I thought that was a normal thing. I know, right? (laughs) And and Jersey is seeing a swing. I'm telling you right now, there's something magical happening in New Jersey. And I need people to come out and vote in the General Assembly for all of our Republican candidates and vote in your senatorial districts as well. We also have school board. We have mayoral vote from top to bottom for all your conservatives. But here's the one that I'm most excited about, Mm -hmm. Rich. I live in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And of course, we got Governor Glenn Youngkin and we got the House of Delegates, right? Yeah. Now, every that's that's the same House of Delegates race where that woman had uh, some porn or whatever. And then she got mad that she was selling porn and they found it. That's the same race, right? Well, you know, that's neither here nor there. I'm a policy guy. I'm an agenda driven (laughs) person. I want to know how people feel about the sexualization of children. Are they going to stop yeah. it? I Good want to point. know if people are going to bring down our gas prices. I want to focus on what is going to make life better and more affordable for Virginians and the American people. That's what I care about. Scott Russell, so, before you get into Virginia, I want to continue with that on the other side of this break because uh, I, I want you to take your time with it. Folks, if you want to join us, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with Scott Pressler, the uh, founder of Early Vote Action, earlyvoteaction.com is his website. Scott Pressler, I want you to give us your, your final word and plug everything you've got to plug. We have elections this November. My name is Scott Pressler. My organization is earlyvoteaction.com. I am here to make Joe Biden a one-term president. If you will join me in this quest, if you will fight with me peacefully, please visit my website, earlyvoteaction.com. Yes, I'm focused on Arizona, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. But in order to win next year, we must win this year. If you live in Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia, please make a plan to vote. And if you aren't going to be in town, if you're a trucker, a pilot, a police officer, please make a plan that you're voting either early in person or mail-in voting My goal is I want to lock in every single Republican vote and ensure that we are swimming together as a family for the mission of defeating the Joe Biden and electing a completely Republican government in 2024. Outstanding goal. Uh, I wish you the best of luck with it and, and keep up the amazing work that you're doing. Scott Pressler founder and executive director of Early Vote Action, earlyvoteaction.com. We are on the air in every one of those states that he mentioned, so make sure you take action. Scott, thanks for joining us, brother. Rich, thanks for the opportunity. Good night. You bet. God bless. All right, folks, Open Phone America is coming up right now. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, taking your calls on all the hot topics of the day, and that starts right now. Don't move a muscle. Live 
from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And happy to be here with you. Hour number three this Monday night. And uh, there's a bunch of things I want to talk to. Of course, it's Open Phone America, which is a time-honored tradition here on the program. Dates back to longer than I've been around, or just about as long. And uh, we're going to continue that tonight, so I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. The phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES. Now, earlier, I brought up this uh, exclusive that's in the Daily Mail. Hunter Biden was suspected of hiring prostitutes from Eastern from an Eastern European sex trafficking ring during his drug binges and then falsified checks to pay women. This is according to documents that were released by the Treasury. And um, the DailyMail.com has previously reported uh, documents, texts, and videos showing Hunter spent a staggering $30,000 on prostitutes in just five months. Now, those that are associated with this Eastern European prostitution ring, uh, inc- or sex trafficking ring, excuse me, were tied to Russia. Uh, they had Russian passports and to a company based in China where the money was funneled. Very interesting stuff going on here. Uh, That's another story. Of course, then we have the story of the shutdown being averted, but now we've got uh, a feud between Matt Gates and Speaker McCarthy. That one continues. And that one is, uh, again, it's one, I'm I'm on everybody's side here, right? I think that we, we need, we need to make sure that we don't spend any more money. So Gates is spot on. And I also realize the challenge that McCarthy has where we don't have a, a conservative majority in Congress. We have a freedom caucus, but we, we have moderates. You've got people of all stripes in the Republican party. And he's, you know, I guess it's like the old thing. It's like herding cats, right? But, um, Kevin McCarthy was on Face the Nation uh, just yesterday, and he was speaking about Congressman Matt Gates uh, kind of, kind of uh, ousting him. And he says, this is personal with Matt, and he's down for the fight. Listen to this. The news this morning from Congressman Matt Gates, who says he's going to uh, seek a motion to vacate. He's going to try to oust you, a Speaker of the House. That's nothing new. He's tried to do that from the moment I ran for office. Look. Well, this time he says he's going to keep going. May not get there before the 15th ballot, but it took 15 for Kevin McCarthy. He says he's coming for you. Can you survive? Yes, I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. Matt voted against the most conservative ability to um, protect our border, secure our border. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. He wanted to push us into a shutdown, even threatening 
his own district with all the military people there who would not be paid only because he wants to take this motion. So be it. Bring it on. Let's get over with it and let's start governing. If he's upset because he tried to push us in a shutdown and I made sure government didn't shut down, then let's have that fight. So there you have it. Shots fired. Well, uh, Gates fired back and he has brought the motion to vacate uh, with um, to, you know, remove Speaker McCarthy from leadership. And uh, he, he mentioned uh, that in Congress earlier today. And and we have a clip of audio on that that I want you guys to hear. Check this out. To extend Joe Biden's spending and Joe Biden's policy priorities, the Speaker of the House gave away to Joe Biden the money for Ukraine that Joe Biden wanted. So that, that's Matt Gates saying that uh, the, the problem now and the reason he's pushing it is that there's a backroom deal between the speaker and the president, which doesn't seem odd to me. I think there's always deals between the speaker and the president. Um, at least, you know, as a kid growing up, we had a Democrat speaker and a Republican president, uh, Ronald Reagan, and um, they were very well known for being very, very close friends, Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. So it doesn't seem odd to me, but I know in today's political landscape, it's kind of a sin. It's right. It's a sin if you have friends on the other side of the aisle. It's wrong. It's like, what's wrong with you? How could you not hate them? And you know me, I, I'm not here to hate anybody. I'm here to make sure we get things done. And sometimes people get in your way. I get that. And if, uh, if they don't agree with you ideologically, I get that too. Uh, but it doesn't mean I necessarily hate them per se. And I'm not saying these guys hate each other. I'm just saying there, there's, I believe in a, way of governing where you work with people and you, you have to do that. But I also believe that you got to hold on to your convictions that sometimes you're going to have to have these fights. So, you know, uh, kudos to Gates for standing up and saying, Hey, look, no more money for Ukraine and kudos to McCarthy for saying, Hey, let's, let's have the fight because that to me is what this whole thing is about. We have to have these conversations that to me is government actually working. Anyway, I want to know what you guys think. Let's go to the phones on this one. 833-482-5337. 833-4-Valdez. Let's go to Manchester, New Hampshire and check in with Justin, who's listening on WEMJ online. Go ahead, Justin. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Rich, thank you so much. Um, it is always such a pleasure and an honor to speak with you um, every Likewise. time, Rich. thank you. Uh, oh, you're welcome. No, you're a true patriot, Rich. And uh, thank God we have patriots like you who are fighting fighting That's for us, very kind. the people. Yeah, I mean, we, we need that more than ever right now. We really do. Um, yeah, you know, there's something I, I noticed, Rich, and, you know, and I'm, I'm sure you have, I'm sure most people have noticed this, but I, I don't hear the media or anyone um, in our government, I mean, whether it's state level or federal level, speaking about this. Um, every time that we do have a shutdown, I mean, l luckily it's not very often. Um, it's rare. But when we do have a federal shutdown, the only um, pay that is affected is, I mean, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's from the military or whether it's federal workers, no right. one in Congress, not even the president, anyone in our federal government, their pay is never affected. You know, I just Isn't don't understand why. Yeah. 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 And again, this yeah. is another reason I give kudos to Gates because he said, if we do have a shutdown, I don't want my money. I don't pay me good for him. It's such a, a rich proposition when you're the one deciding what's going on with who and what, 
and then you're not affected by it. Or when we passed the Obamacare spending, uh, the Obamacare um, insurance package that they did, the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, back when they did, and saying, you know, this applies to everybody in America, minus Congress. We have a different plan. It's way better than yours. <laughs> and, and it just it just seems so, so um, wrong in many ways. And I think this is why, you know, Congress and the media tend to have a very similar disapproval rating because people are just fed up of congressmen going in, you know, making 100 grand a year as a lawyer, 200 grand, whatever it is they're making, and, you know, a net worth of, you know, half a million, a million dollars, and they leave and they're worth, you know, $10 million, $20 million, sometimes $100 million. Look at Nancy Pelosi. She's filthy rich. And of course, she says, well, her husband's a great investor and this and that. And they're always going to have something to say. And they make all of their own rules. So it's, you know, it's not like I make the rules for Congress or you make the rules for Congress or any of us do. You know, so they have the rules committee and they make their own rules. And, you know, then we complain about a uniparty, but they make their own rules. And, you know, we talked about this earlier about some of the, um, not Congress, but other parts of the federal government, the administrative state, that make their own rules. And they, they determine how much power they're going to have. And they don't uh, consult with the Constitution. They just say, no, you know, this is what we want to do. This is how we can affect this the best way. So let's do this. And even when you have an adversary across the aisle that doesn't agree on most of the big issues with you, he's probably going to, or, or she, is probably going to agree with you when they say, you know, let's vote ourselves a raise and let's give us ourselves more power if you're in Congress or if you're just a bureaucrat that's not elected. Same thing, right? It's like, oh, well, you know, the, the people didn't give us this power because they don't believe that we, the people, gave us that power. And that's why they're giving themselves so much power. So I think it's a brilliant point that you bring up, Justin, because I think it's crazy that, you know, the people that are in charge of, you know, keeping the government going or shutting it down, they're not really in this fight. Right. They just show up to work. If they do, they do. They don't. They don't. They're getting paid either way. And it's it's, you know, everyone else in the federal government that pays the price, Justin. Absolutely, Rich. You're right, because, you know, because when we do have a shutdown, I mean, thank God it's rare. But every time we do have a federal shutdown, you know, obviously the it, the people the, our representatives in Congress, our elected representatives, I mean, they are to blame for that because they can't come to a compromise. And, you know, we, the people get affected by that every time. And, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, Rich, all the way. And, uh, thank you, Rich. God bless you, man. Oh, uh, you too, brother. God bless. And it's such a good point that you bring up. You know, I went to a park today, uh, for lunch and beautiful day in New York today, 78 degrees or something like that. And, and it was a public park. It's like a pu public private partnership, really nice park called Little Island. It's a floating Island, uh, on these concrete, pillars that are shaped like giant tulips, believe it or not, used to be a pier. I think it was Pier 56. Now it's called Little Island in Manhattan. And nice place, very, you know, beautiful horticulture, beautiful, you know, landscaping, all of that stuff. Very, very nice. Uh, but I thought to myself, you know, had there been a government shutdown in the state of New York, uh, a lot of those services wouldn't be available to people. Yet all the politicians would, would be available. That They'd be getting paid. And I just think it's it's just an interesting situation, the way things work. And that's the conversation we need to have. Those are the the amendments to bills that we need to include when there's debate on a topic to say, hey, look, let's avoid a shutdown and let's go back to our rules committee or whoever we got to go to appropriations, whichever committee would handle that and say, you know what, during a shutdown, Congress isn't going to be essential either. We're going to shut, you know, you can keep working. 
but you're not getting paid. And I wonder if, if that would have an impact on some of the members. I think it would, in my personal opinion. But what do I know? Anyway, we're going to continue with the rest of your calls and more straight ahead. We've got calls from Portland, from Michigan, and more coming in now. Again, the phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Uh, do you still stand by your statement that Boone uh, Farlar was an accident? You know, I don't know why this has gotten so much attention. I was literally just in a rush to go vote, man. That's all it was. Are you afraid of any repercussions either from leadership or from legally from Capitol Police? I, I mean, listen, I take responsibility for what I did, you know, but like I said, I was in a rush to go vote and, uh, you know, the investigation will, will, will sort everything else out. Uh, have you talked to Jeffries about it? Oh, yeah, of course. That's day one. Yes. How was that conversation? Well, I got to keep that between me and the leader, so I'm not going to share that publicly. Yeah, uh-huh. we've been in touch with each other. All right, that is the voice of Congressman Jamal Bowman, who on Friday pulled a fire alarm, Saturday, excuse me, pulled a fire alarm that some are saying he did it to slow down the vote, to interrupt the vote, when they were passing the resolution to not shut down Congress. And I've got to say, you know, uh, I've been hearing the analysis uh, of different people on this. I have never in my life pulled a fire alarm thinking I was opening a door. And that is what the congressman said, right? He said, hey, no, no, I was in a rush. I was trying to go vote. I pulled the fire alarm thinking it was the door. On what planet? Anybody, if you have, if, listen, call me right now, correct the record, set me straight. If you've ever went to open a door, and you ended up pulling a fire alarm. Now, I don't mean opening the emergency door where you push it and then it goes, wee, 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 you know, where the because it's a fire exit. I'm talking about pulling an actual fire alarm, mistaking that it was a door. Nobody's ever done that. If, if that were the case, you know, little kids make mistakes. I don't know if you've had little kids, but I have. I've had two of them. And I can tell you, not at four, not at five, not at six, did my kids ever pull a fire alarm thinking that it was a door. I can tell you that most of the callers uh, and listeners to this program have never done it either because I've never heard of such a preposterous thing. But that's where we are. Now, he says, look, I I take responsibility for what I did. Well, part of that responsibility and the accountability that's being sought by uh, the congresswoman from Staten Island, New York, Nicole Maliotakis, she says, we need to expel Congressman Bowman for pulling the fire alarm, trying to interrupt Uh, an official proceeding of Congress. I'm adding that because it sounds so similar to their saying, oh, that's what they did on January 6th. So do we call Jamal Bowman an insurrectionist? Is he, was this an insurrection? Did he interfere with democracy by pulling this alarm? I don't know. I would say uh, if, if that's what we're saying everybody else did, then we should probably say that he did that too. Anyway, Nicole Maliotakis, she introduced this resolution um, today to expel Jamal Bowman, Congressman from New York, 
for pulling a fire alarm at Saturday's House vote on the measure to fund the government. And uh, the quote from her is, she says, look, we've dropped a resolution with 12 co-sponsors and we will continue to add more throughout the day. Mr. Bowman's juvenile actions violated both federal and local law and he must be held accountable. Good for you, Congresswoman Maliotakis, for putting that out there. Now, Bowman pulled the fire alarm in the Cannon House office building ahead of the midnight deadline to pass the measure to fund the government. The fire alarm forced a temporary evacuation of the building through, uh, even though House members eventually returned and did vote on the bill. The resolution comes amid a push from some Republican lawmakers who have accused Bowman of intentionally trying to stop the high-stakes vote. This is being reported in The Hill, by the way. So, uh, I don't know. McCarthy says that, let's see, what does McCarthy say? He he was in a rush to get to the vote and pulled the alarm thinking it would open the door. Again, please give me a call, 833-482-5337. If you've ever been like, oh, no, let me, let me, hello, ma'am, let me open the door for you and be a gentleman. Hold on, let me pull this fire alarm to see if that, I just, I just don't see how that, you know, he should have just said, look, you know, uh, I, I I don't know. I thought I smelled smoke. <laughs> I pulled the fire alarm. My bad. It wasn't smoke. You know, uh, this whole I thought it was the door. I thought that opened the door here. I'm not buying it. Not for a second. Anyway, uh, I want to get your thoughts on this because this is absolutely crazy town, in my opinion. Uh, let's go to Kim. She's in Shields, Michigan, listening on KDKA online. Kim, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. You you want our thoughts on that? Um, he said he was late. The doors were locked. He could, couldn't get in, and he uh, pulled the alarm on purpose. I'm saying this. He pulled it on purpose so that he could get in there. He was late, and they were starting the vote, I guess. So it was intentional. And if he thinks we're going to believe his crap, he's dumber than a bag of dirt, you know. But. <laughs> Um, what, what I called about is well, before you get things. into that, I just need to know how many times have you trying to open a door accidentally pulled a fire alarm? Never. You usually have to break the glass and pull the thing down. You know, I've never done that. You go, you go to jail for stuff like that. Right. Well, and that's what Congresswoman Maliotakis is saying. Kim, hang on. I'm going to come right back to you so you can make your point. I got to take a quick pause right here. We're going to get to the rest of your calls and more. Give us a call on this and anything else. But I'm really curious about this. 833-482-5337. We've got a quick uh, break where you can call in. I really want, I'm so curious. I'm hoping somebody out there has done this and I'm not making it up. 833-4-Valdez. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Welcome back. We're going to continue with your phone calls and more. The phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And I want to go back to Kim, who's in Michigan. 
uh, you were commenting on how you'd never, ever pulled a fire alarm accidentally trying to open a door. And I know you had another point, Kim. Go right ahead. Yeah. The two things I called in about real quick are um, we've got I thought about this over the weekend. We've got 13 months till the presidential election. And uh, a lot of videos came up on my phone over the weekend from these big cities that are getting all the immigrants. They're getting like 50, 60 busloads. Chicago, all these cities are getting them. And and the people that live there are really angry. They're rioting and calling the news crews in. And a lot of them are black people that are mad. They say, what about the black people in Chicago? What about, you know, and I think this is my, the end of this one is, the worse things go in the next 13 months, the better we'll do, Meg will do at the elections. And the other thing I wanted to say is you were talking about Trump, and uh, I think that um, they would do what they're doing to President Trump, to any mega person that had a really strong backbone and wouldn't back down, because they're doing it in our state to a man – um, name uh, well, he's a constitutional attorney named Matthew DiPerno, and he ran for um, attorney general in Michigan. And they're yeah. really trying to take his law license away from him. They're trying. Uh, I, the attorney general went after him because he brought in the out of the Texas firm to go over in Antrim County, where those six thousand votes were flipped to Democrats. And uh, they're accusing him of breaking into the voting machines, even though he had an outside Internet company do it. And they are doing to him a much lesser level, but they're going after him. These three women that run our state are so vicious. They're going after Matthew DiPerno. Unbelievable. But President Trump's getting it a hundred times worse. It's because they he won't back down. Because he keeps coming. He's like I said, this is his time in history. He was called to save our country, President Trump. He's maybe not perfect. I'm not perfect. But he was called in to do this. You know, what do you think? A hundred percent, Kim. I think you're spot on with that. Uh, I think Trump is, is out there swinging. And and the reality is that there are people out there that are going after a bunch of people. Just look at what happened in Georgia, right? They arrested Trump and 18 other Republicans that are in his orbit because they're trying to send a strong message. If you like Trump, we'll lock you up. If you represent Trump, you'll never get a job as an attorney again. If, if you're Giuliani, they'll, t- they'll take away your ability to practice law in the state of New York. I mean, it's absolutely uh, absurd what, what's going on. And again, some people hear that and they go, oh, well, what do you, why do you like Julian? It's not, it's not even about liking Julian, which I do. I, I have a lot of uh, admiration for the guy. But it's the fact that Giuliani has an incredibly solid track record. He was a associate attorney general of the United States under Reagan. He became a United States attorney uh, for the Southern District of New York. He became mayor of the city of New York. He locked up the, the mob. He took down Gotti and all those guys. And... Uh, He's taken on organized crime uh, externally, like internationally, like FARC, F-A-R-C, a uh, a Colombian um, uh, rebel group. And it's just absolutely crazy to see that the things are going on. Of course, Rudy Giuliani, most infamously or most famously, I should say, they try to make it infamy, um, holding the city together during his transition when Mike Bloomberg was, was coming in as mayor and really holding the country together during 9-11.
this is what we're, we're experiencing. And I think it's it's very sad. They will come after your legal license, your law license, rather. They'll come after you however they can. Kim, thank you for the call. And it's, it's a real shame. And it really is it's just shocking to me the way things are happening, the way they're unfolding. But this is where we are. And it, it just, it's disappointing, but not surprising. Right? I say that all the time, but that's the truth on that. Because uh, good old Jamal Bowman, He's pulling fire alarms, right? <laughs> Nobody's prosecuting him, at least uh, not just yet. Now, let's see. Uh, I, I want to go to a quick clip, number 13, of Kevin McCarthy. He was at a press conference on Saturday, and he also weighed in on the photo of Congressman Jamal Bowman pulling the fire alarm. And his commentary here was, this is a new low, I'm going to add, even for the Democrats. Check this out. I was really appalled watching Democrats' actions today, to delay it to get to a shutdown. But when we found that an individual elected to Congress would pull a fire alarm, that's a new low. We watched how people have been treated if they've done something wrong in this Capitol. It would be interesting to see how he is treated on what he was trying to obstruct when it came to the American public. There it is, a new low, Speaker McCarthy calling him out. Listen, I, I have to agree with that. And I want to go to the phones on this one. Let's go to Bobby's in South Charleston, West Virginia on WCHS. Bobby, go right ahead. Hey there, Rich. You know, if uh, this guy Bowman was my son, I'd whip him for trying to make a <laughs> fool out of me and insulting my intelligence. And I'd, <laughs> I'll tell you, he wouldn't do that again. <laughs> Oh, God bless you, Bobby. I think you're right. And, and, you know, again, and you're talking about that where your son, you know, as if if he were, you know, in grade school and did that, he'd get a whooping. Just imagine when you're a grown man and a congressman, you know, you literally are a a member of the House of Representatives, uh, an institution where you can't even walk around without a blazer, without a sport jacket on. You need to have your jacket on. There's decorum, there's civility, there's rules. And now apparently there's pulling fire alarms. You got John Fetterman saying, no, we're going to change the Senate rules so I could wear a hoodie and and shorts to work. And uh, and that obviously didn't fly. And now we've got uh, Bowman pulling alarms. Oh, my my bad. I thought it was something else. I mean, I just, you got to come up with a better excuse than that one because I'm not buying it. Bobby, I think you're right. And I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody uh, on WCHS in Charleston, West Virginia, South Charleston, by the way. I want to continue. Let's go to Sarah. Sarah's in Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Sarah, go right ahead. Hi. I've been a custodian since 2007, and I have never seen a fire alarm pulled by accident. Never even heard of it. (laughs) The handles operate differently. I mean, you would actually have to kind of sit there and read the instructions on how to pull it. They're also not part of a door ever. They're always on a, you know, ball separate from the door. But we should be concerned that the left is just brazenly breaking laws and willing to engage in, I mean, this is actually pretty trite in a scary way compared to what the left has engaged in in the recent past. And it it just makes me think that we're in a really short twilight period before um, overt tyranny is there and the fact that he doesn't worry. He did that. And he did that knowing, intentionally, knowing that his compatriots on the left will not condemn him. 
or expect him to follow the rules. And, 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 and it just shows you where the mindset of the left is, and I really think we're heading into tyranny very quickly. I think you're spot on, Sarah. I, again, I, I know people hear that and they go, oh, come on, it's a fire alarm. It's not, you know, a gun grab or something. I, listen, I, I get it. But I agree that if we continue to abuse the legal system, if we, if we prostitute it, uh, what, what ends up happening? Right. It's us that loses. It's we, the people that take the loss here. And the, the whole thing is just uh, crazy to me. It really is. This fire alarm business. I think it's insanity. Uh, I, I, I can't believe it. Right. That's I wish it would make sense. If, if, if they said, oh, he accidentally went through a fire door and that set off the alarm. That's a different story. I saw the picture online. I was like, um, what a waste. What, what an embarrassment uh, to, to our country that we have a, you know, a congressman that doesn't know how to open a door. Uh, just it, it's just beyond me. Let me um, quickly go to Richard. Thank you, Sarah. By the way, big shout out to everybody in Bedford, Indiana. W B I W. Richard, uh, Cave City, Arkansas. Listening to a station in Missouri, K S A R. Richard, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Good evening, sir. Uh, well, first of all, I think the congressman's story is a little shaky. That being said, uh, in 1956, I was in third grade, and, of course, we were told never to touch these things. Well, uh, and we couldn't reach, the little kids couldn't reach them anyway. Right. I was out there in the hall one day, and I was extremely curious. I couldn't reach it. I got some books, and I stood on them. (laughs) <laughs> I reached, I reached, I reached up and pulled the lever down, and nothing happened. That's because it hit the glass, but I, I didn't break it, you know. So I gave it a big yank, and the glass broke, and I, then I was scared. And then immediately the alarm went off, and I froze. Some <laughs> teacher, somebody came running out of me. I was standing right there, caught red-handed, and of course I was brought into the principal and. They didn't lean on me. Uh, I mean, they didn't. They didn't give me a whooping, but they I called bet. my parents, and I went home from school. And my mom said, "You know, it was proverbial. Just wait till your father gets home." He came oh. home. She told him. He said, "Go out in the car." I said, "Where are we going?" He said, "We're going for a ride." He takes me to the fire station. He, he, he and he talks to the fireman. A couple of great big, you know. 10-foot fireman came out and gave me a pretty good dressing down, but I think they were, I don't know. But at any rate, after that, they said, listen, kid, you want to go look at the trucks and stuff? And I said, well, sure. Then then I, then I thought, boy, this is great, you know. But anyway, that's, that's my story, so uh, don't do that. Yeah, I love that, Richard. I love that. Don't do it. I think you're 100% right, and it's a, such a funny story. I appreciate it. Folks, we're coming right back to the rest of your calls and more. Give us a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
on you several years now. I want the audience to know what a wonderful, decent person you are. Very, very thoughtful. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. But we're going to continue to deliver for the American people, and we're going to continue to advance our national security priorities, because by helping Ukraine, we are also also uh, protecting and, and uh, delivering for the American people and our national security. So that's important as well. And, of course, that's Karine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, saying, more money for Ukraine, more, more, more Ukraine. Listen, I'm all for Ukraine. I want to see Ukraine win. I want to see Biden rise to the challenge and be the leader he's supposed to be as leader of the free world and make this better. But lamentably, we're not seeing anything from Joe El Maboso Biden other than a lot of lip service and him just forgetting what he's talking about mid-sentence. And listen, that happens to me too. But does it happen as often? And am I president of the United States? No. So uh, I think Biden needs to really uh, check himself and uh, and see what's going on with this, this whole Ukraine thing. But I want to get to the calls. Uh, before we run out of time, let's go to Allison, Portland, Maine, WLOB. Allison, go right ahead. Hola. Um, yeah, I just, um, I've got kind of an extreme view about Ukraine a bit. I think that there never should have been military aid to them at all, just humanitarian aid. Um, once Mr. Putin went in there, and then obviously do what you can to help everybody with, um, you know, medical care and food and whatever. But the whole idea of, of this weird thing of, of trying to start proxy World War III is just completely nutty to me. Um, um, because, of course, Mr. Putin wouldn't have invaded the Ukraine in such a big way if Mr. Trump had still been in there. That's pretty obvious. And uh, But um, historically, the Ukraine um, has been part of either the Soviet Union or Russia. Um, and then, I think a long time ago, the Austro-Hungarian Empire part of it or something. I can't quite remember the midst of time. But... but um, and so, um, and they were treated horribly during uh, the Soviet Union, uh, I mean, especially in the 30s, um, with the, you know, starving them out and just horrible stuff. But, I mean, they really, it really is none of our business except on just, you know, he's not, he's not, a, Putin, you know, is not a James Bond villain. He's not trying to start World War Three or take over the world. So the idea that um, it's the worst, you know, the worst scenario, even if he did completely take over the Ukraine, he's not moving on to Poland and Hungary and Czech, you know, the Czech Republic and all that. I think that's just nonsense. And maybe I'm kind of just going, you know, kind of big with this issue and everything, but I think it's just gotten to be such a morass. And uh, the amount of money spent on it is just, just unbelievable, you know. And how much money did the people in Lahaina get in, in Hawaii? Or how much did the people in East Palestine get? Or you can name a dozen things, you know. And um, yeah. and it just seems it just seems to be getting worse and worse with very little, you know. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's just a tunnel. Seems like well, to me in some Let me somewhere. let me just chime in with a little bit here, because uh, you said a lot. And, and here's the thing: I think that that gets overlooked in this conversation. And if you'll consider a, a different perspective, the the first of all, the, the 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 basis of it, right? I mean, the United States once belonged to the UK, right, or what was once the thirteen colonies. And I would be damned if I were to say, well, you know, I mean, there was a time in history where, you know, we, we, we literally speak their language, right? We speak English here. And um, I don't think England has any claim to the United States. 
So if they were to ever come back and say, well, you know, we, we started that stuff, uh, I would laugh in their faces. So I, I don't know that I could put a lot of credence into, into that uh, argument. But secondarily, back in, I think it was late 80s, maybe early 90s, the United States signed, uh, not a treaty, but um, I guess it probably does count as a treaty. I'm not sure if it was approved by the Senate or not, but the Budapest Memorandum of Security Assurances, where we basically disarmed Ukraine that had nuclear weapons to protect themselves from Russia and the aggression that Russians had historically displayed. So they said, no, we have nukes. And it was the United States that came and said, no, 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 listen, give us your nukes. And as long as you don't have nukes, we will go ahead and protect you from Russia or anybody else. But you can't have these nukes. And we took away their nuclear weapons. They're gone. They signed the agreement saying, we will give you the nuclear weapons if you agree to these security assurances to protect the United uh, to protect Ukraine and to uh, support us if we do get attacked. And voila, here we are. We are not honoring our commitment that said, look, we're going to take your nuclear weapons, but we're not going to um, help you. That was never part of the deal. So I think we have a commitment to Ukraine that we is on paper and we've signed, and we have to honor that commitment uh, just to be fair. So I think that's part of it. The other stuff you brought up is absolutely right. I mean, what is going on with the relief efforts in, in Lahaina or anywhere else? Thank you, Allison, for your call. Big shout out to WLIB. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, it's the speed round. Let's go to Lucy in Brownsville, Nebraska, listening on KMA out of Iowa. Lucy, go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Just for the fun of it, the guy that pulled the fire alarm was probably in a hurry, all right, with a a date with his hottie. He needed some assistance with the fire department. (laughs) (laughs) That is funny, actually. Yeah, I wish that were true. Uh, I saw the video. There were no hotties with him. He was just there. Looked like he was being a hater, honestly. Looked like he was like, oh, you know, we're not going to vote on this right now, or I'm going to try and delay and divert. Absolutely terrible. Lucy, thank you for the call. Very funny comment, by the way. In Brownsville, Nebraska, listening on KMA. And the music is here. So forgive me, Frank and Paul. Thank you guys for holding on. Sorry I can't get to you right now. You guys are at the front of the list for tomorrow. And for me, take care. Good night. And God bless. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Happy Monday. Great to be back. And uh, we're going to do it all again tomorrow. Until then, stay tuned to this station. And check us out at RichValdezAmericaAtNight.com. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, America. I'm Rich Valdez. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you 15 to 20? Can you pay me more? Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.